Welcome to the Solomon's Porch Podcast, the podcast from the worship experience of Solomon's Porch at Valdosta First United Methodist Church. We want you to be encouraged and inspired in your faith journey. So sit back and relax, unless you're driving or using heavy machinery, and enjoy. Good morning. It is morning, believe it or not, yeah. Uh, we woke up, did you, did you get okay? Everyone got up all right this morning, yeah? No? <laughs> I'm glad you're... Hey, we had a lot of people here at 9.30. I was surprised. I, I thought it might just be me and Justin and the tech crew just singing to each other, but but there was a big crowd here. I have a question for you as we are in our second week of our um, of our Up series. I have a question for you today. We're talking about giving up indifference, and here's the question, and if you have the FUMC uh, app, you already know the answer to this question if you get push notifications, but here's a question. Does anyone know the difference between ignorance and indifference. Does anyone know? Ignorance and indifference. I don't know and I don't care. Get it? Ignorance, I don't know. Indifference, I don't care. Yeah. Okay. We'll go home. We'll come back. It'll be funnier later. I don't know and I don't care. Now, here's the deal about indifference is that we can, we have this thing in our our family, you know, Mallory's almost six, but she knows that to say the phrase, I don't, I don't care, it's almost like it goes in the bad word category, you know? It's like you don't say, now, if you say it with a certain attitude in a certain way in a certain situation, I don't care is really not, it's, it's not good. You don't want to say that because it could be, you know, there's in Let It Go in the Frozen soundtrack, there's a part where um, Elsa sings, you know, I don't care, and Mallory always looks at me, you know, like she just said it, you know. Thankfully, we don't listen to that much anymore. So, um, but still, it's there, and she knows it. She's got a doll that sings it, and sometimes she's like, "Elsa's gonna say it." She's gonna say, "I don't care," you know. And, and I have to pretend to like scold her. Anyway, I don't care. It's it's kind of like a bad word, and that is what that is the response. Whether we ever actually say those three words, "I don't care," it's a sign of indifference. It's a sign of it's a symptom of indifference to something because we've just decided I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to engage that. I'm not going to think about it. I've become indifferent to that. And as Christians, you guys, this is a problem. This is a problem. And so as we're talking about giving things up for Lent, last week we talked about giving up excess. Today I want us to look for a little bit about giving up indifference because it is a real thing. It is something that that Christians struggle with. I want to share with you... um, something that Jesus said as he was actually beginning his ministry. He had just been baptized by John the Baptist, and he's about to uh, step into his ministry, into his role, into his purpose for being here on earth, and he quotes a prophet from Isaiah, and this is what he says, and I want you to hear these words. It's a very familiar passage, but hear these in light of this, uh, this word indifference and see if you see Jesus being indifferent in this. And I'll go ahead and give you the answer. He's not. So here we go. Here's what he says in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. See, he's he's not indifferent to the fact that, that there's a need. God has sent me to proclaim release to the captives... So he's saying, I know there's people that are that are in bondage, that are enslaved. Um and recovery of sight to the blind. There's, there's people who cannot see, maybe physically or spiritually. To let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
So here's what Jesus is doing as he's embarking on his ministry, right? These are, these are, he's quoting the prophet Isaiah. He's about to step into ministry, and he says this. He, he, looks, he, he took on the world. He, he doesn't say, oh, I'm Jesus, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Son of God, and I look out in this world, and it's absolutely horrible, and all you people, oh, my goodness, you're, you're in a bad place, and this is horrible, bad, bad, bad everywhere I look. No, he said, I have been called to step into this world, I'm going to meet people where they are. I'm not going to be indifferent to it, and I'm going to do something about it. So he doesn't just say, I'm going to be there and be like, oh, I'm so sorry that you're blind. I'm so sorry that you're enslaved. I'm so sorry that you're oppressed. But no, he's going to step into the world and do something about it. Jesus is the exact opposite of indifferent to the needs around us. He's the exact opposite of this. And so we need to think about this. We need to be people who, who say, okay, I'm going to, if Jesus stepped into a world full of bad news to bring good news, and I follow Jesus, then that's what I need to do. I need to step into a world and bring good news where there's bad news. But what do a lot, what a lot of us do a lot of the time? We just kind of go, oh, man, there's so much bad news right? We're watching TV, we're reading the news feed, and we're just like, oh, bad news everywhere. Jesus said, no, yeah, there's bad news, but I've got good news, and I'm going to step into that. So if Jesus did that, if he stepped into a world where people are enslaved, right? Maybe, maybe it is physical bondage. Maybe it is really, there's chains. Maybe they really are restrained, or maybe it's just because of the, what's going on in their life, See, he doesn't just recognize it. He steps into that. If he steps into a world where people are blinded by their sin, he doesn't, he doesn't condemn this world. He came to save this world. Jesus is not indifferent. And Jesus, if he's not indifferent to the world and he came to meet it head on, if you and I follow Jesus, then guess what? Our steps should go in the same places that Jesus has went. Wherever Jesus went, we should go. If he stepped into places where, that we've become indifferent to, that should be a challenge to us today. And so I hope you wore your big girl and big boy pants today because I'm about to share, and maybe your steel-toed boots if you need those too, because I'm about to hit you with not even double barrel. This is like triple barrel information about some ways in which we have become quite indifferent. Uh, indifferent as Christians, uh, indifferent as American Christians, as North American Christians, if you want to say that. We have become so indifferent. And I want us to look at, at just three. There's a lot more, but I just want to offer three today, three causes that build up this indifference in our life. Okay, and the first one is the one that, that just gets you, okay, and it's this. We, as, as Christians, we have this tendency, and this builds up indifference, and it's to take things for granted. We just take things for granted. We do. And you might think, well, maybe a little bit, sometimes, possibly, but are you ready? Here we go. Let's just find out if you take things for granted. Here's the first one. Do you have religious freedom? The mere fact that you're sitting in this room is a yes. No one stopped you from getting in the car this morning. You didn't have to, like, you know, lose a tail, like someone wasn't following you here. You didn't have to run in a serpentine fashion to get into the door because you're afraid someone's going to shoot you. Like, you have religious freedom. No one told you you could not come to worship today. You are not in fear of your life because you said, I'm going to go to church this morning and worship. We take that for granted. Here's how I know. 75% of the world's populace live in an area with severe religious restrictions. Severe. 
And Christians in more than 60 countries, six zero, face persecution just simply because they call themselves Christians. We don't deal with that. Folks, we take that for granted. And you know what that does? That can build up indifference in us when we read about what's going on in Syria with Christians there. And we're like, I don't really understand. What's the big deal? I went to church three times last month and nobody bothered me. I don't, and we can become indifferent because we take it for granted. Here's something else. Do you make your own decisions? Mm-hmm, yep. Listen, there are 29.8 million people living as slaves today. In some shape or fashion, they are living enslaved today because they're either um, forced labor, that means they have no choice, they just got to get up and work, and then that, that is their life. They're forced prostitutes, they're child soldiers, they're child brides. There are 29.8 million people today who do not make decisions for themselves. Somebody else owns them. We take that for granted, and we become indifferent. Do you have money in a bank? Now, I'm not asking how much money, okay? That's, not, that's beside the point. You're still the richest people in the world, okay? But listen, there are 2.5 billion people, adults, adults, not just, not just 2.5 billion adults around the world who are unbanked. Why? Because they have no money. And we become indifferent to this. Oh, I'm, oh I don't know if I can... I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can help with that. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do my offering this month because I just, I mean, I've got Netflix and I've got to keep up with that and, and sling. And I mean, I just don't know. And I mean, my budget, I just, we become indifferent to the needs of the world around us. Here's the next one. Every one of us in here has this already. We take this for granted. I bet you didn't even think twice about it this morning, maybe in regard to fashion, but not in regard to safety or health. We have so many of these that we never use many of them. Many of them never even get um, used, and it's this, shoes. I could shoe a village if they all wore a size 9. Actually, there's probably a lot of people in that village that wouldn't care. There'd probably be some dude like a size 14 with like toes and heels hanging over both ends of my Birkenstocks right now. But he'd just be happy to have some shoes. Shoes. Here's the deal about shoes. About 300 million children, just children, around the world don't own a pair of shoes. And it's estimated that 2 billion people worldwide are currently plagued with some sort of parasitic disease. Why? Because, it, it, because they didn't have adequate shoes. It could have been prevented simply by having proper footwear. Shoes we take for granted. We take shoes for granted. Do you have clean water? Okay. Do you have clean water? Are you able to go to your tap, go to your fridge, and do you have access to clean water? About 1.1 billion people in the world don't have access to clean drinking water. And because of that, 9 million people will die this year because of water-related illnesses, because they drank bad water. And you know what? We are indifferent to this. So when we hear about an organization, a ministry, a missionary, and they're wanting to put a well in a village, we're like, what's the big deal? I don't know. Why, what, what's the problem? Why do they need a, we really need to give to that? But I, I need to run out and get my new Brita filter. But yeah, I don't know if we're going to help. We become indifferent to the needs of other people. And listen, the next time that you, you crack open a bottle of water or, or pour it from the tap, think about this, ladies. The average woman... Let me, see, let me see my number here. 
millions, that's all I had, millions of women around the world spend an average of four hours a day fetching water for their family. Think about that next time. We take things for granted. And here's what happens when we take things for granted. We become indifferent to the needs of the world around us. We become indifferent to it. Here's another one. Anyone eat three meals a day or maybe four or five? Approximately 90, 925 million people in the developing world are chronically undernourished. So a third of the world is way overnourished. A third of the world is minimally nourished. And another third of the world is chronically undernourished nourished okay do you enjoy uh, electricity I know you do because we freak out when we don't have it okay you enjoy reliable electricity um, you do and but here's the deal 1.5 billion people in this world have no access to power 1.5 billion people if you, you know, whenever you know how whenever the power goes out and you suddenly realize all the stuff that you needed power for right you know, you still go in and like flick the light switch, you're like, oh, the power's out. You know, you go there, oh, the power's out. Turn on the TV, oh, the power. You know, we, 1.5 billion people. And listen, if you like to wash your clothes with the added electricity and that water that gets pumped to your house, think about this. Uh, Five billion people in the world still wash their clothes by hand. They probably go down to that water source that other lady's walking four hours to get there to get it. So that sounds delicious. That sounds like great water to drink right there. Um, just upriver, just be upriver, the lady washing her clothes. Do you have a roof over your head? If you're in Oklahoma, I'd say, do you have a roof over your head? That's how we say it there. Do you have a roof over your head? There are 100 million homeless people in the world today that do not have that. Listen to this, guys. One in three children, one in three children, one in three children in the world do not have adequate shelter. Think about that. One in three kids don't have it, and we take it for granted. Do you have a toilet that flushes? Because 2.6 billion people do not. 2.6 billion people do not have toilet facilities. Can you read? Can you read the words that we're putting up on this screen? Because here's the deal about that. Nearly a billion people are unable to read a book or even sign their names. And there are 72 million children who should be enrolled in school right now, and they're not. And we take that for granted. Where am I going to send little Johnny? This school, that school, or that school? A school? We become indifferent. You know, you know how I know this? Some of you are indifferent to the fact that I'm talking about how indifferent we are. Oh, how many more numbers is she going to read? We take this for granted, folks. We take this for granted. If you've got a college degree, I just got to mention this one. You are, you are like amazing because you are in the top 6.7% of people on this planet if you went all the way through to college. So we take things for granted and it causes us to, be quite, to become quite indifferent about life. We take things for granted. Here's how I know, because here's another cause that leads us to indifference. Not only do we take things for granted, but we do so and it leads us to this where we are all about comfort. We're all about our comfort. 
Now here's how I know this, because a lot of times we seek comfort when we want to escape from something, like a list that someone reads to you about how horrible the world is and how wonderful things are with you, and you go, oh, I just need to escape, right? And so you go into your house, and you set your thermostat to 65 degrees, and then you turn your heating pad on your mattress, and you get in there, and you're all cozy and warm, and you've got your body down pillow, and everything's great, and life is wonderful. You know, listen, there's this thing called Sabbath, and it's, and it's real, God gave it to us. And we're supposed to rest, we're supposed to pull away, but that should not be where we always are. But for so many of us, we become so indifferent. We've allowed, um, we, we've taken things for granted, and all we do is we seek out our comfort, our lazy boys, and you know, get in that Eno and go hang between some trees and just chill, and we just wanna be so comfortable that we become indifferent. We've become indifferent to to how life really is for most of the world. And I've just got to say this in case you didn't know today. Jesus didn't come to save just the people that live in Lowndes County or in the state of Georgia or in the United States of America or in the people in North America or just people that are white or just people that speak English or just people that vote a certain way, fill in your, your blank. See, he stepped into a world and said, I'm going to come and set these people free, and I'm going to bring hope, and I'm going to bring life. Jesus was not indifferent. And if you call yourself a follower of Jesus today, then you should not be indifferent either. Oh, I'm so convicted (laughs) by this message. We let our um, taking things for granted and our comfort become such a, a way that we develop this indifference. And here's a third way, a third cause that, that brings about indifference. And when I think about this one, here's what I think about. Now, this isn't, this isn't just for these people, but I think about teachers. I think about people in the medical field, like nurses and stuff, uh, people that are social workers that deal um, with folks that, are, that are, seem to be in crises a lot. But that's not just for them. I think all of us can fall into this category, and it's this. This is a cause that brings indifference, and it's social fatigue. Social fatigue. And and here's what I mean by social fatigue. You might feel this when you've encountered the the hundredth homeless person in the day. You know, or maybe it's just the tent. You know, it's the people that camp out right there by Target and Home Depot, right? You know, or by Walmart. You know, they've got their locations. I don't know if there's a schedule somewhere and they pick out where they want to go. I'm not sure how that works, but there's always somebody there and we just become indifferent. I've seen it. I become socially fatigued to the needs of people holding a sign saying, help, need food, need money. Do you become socially fatigued by that, by seeing the person with the sign? You know, we can do this. I think about teachers and, and, you know, in the classroom. (laughs) I was laughing. I was talking to two teachers after the 930 service, and between the two of them, they were talking about a death threat, um, uh, a child uh, harming themselves, uh, the death threat to the teacher, by the way, child hiring in themselves, uh, six students who were all like sick in one day in the classroom. And I think about this, and then not to mention just the day-to-day stuff, like the kids that have, that have a hard time focusing and they've got something going on at home and, and they're not being, they're undernourished, like the statistics say. They're having a hard time with their attention. And I think about this social fatigue where teachers are just like, I don't know if any teacher has ever said this before, I'm done. Any teachers ever said that before? I'm done. 
just done. I don't know how done you can be, but I know a lot of teachers have been done a lot of times, like, like once a day done. So I don't know how many days you're in school, but there's a lot of done. Socially fatigued. And what happens is it can bring about indifference. Bring about indifference. When all you see around you is need, it's this, you know, it's, it's that person that, you know, okay, so maybe you're not in a classroom, maybe you're not in the medical field, maybe you're not in social work, but maybe it's that person who's come to you for the hundredth time with the same issue, seeking your help, and you give them the same advice you have been, and they'll come back again, and you're just like, come on, come on. How much more? And you, almost, and you become indifferent to the person. Here's the deal about these three things, and these are just three, about taking things for granted and just seeking out our comfort and being socially fatigued. Folks, that is a tiny little step from indifference to apathy. It is just one short little step from indifference to apathy. And apathy just means, that means I really, really don't care. I mean, I don't even respond. Like, I don't react. It does, I am without feeling. The word apathy comes from a, a French word that means without feeling. It's just you are calloused. The, the, you know, I mean, think about just you not being able to respond to it. It's just a short step from indifference to apathy. And when we're there, well, this is what Jesus speaks. And I want to read another passage of Jesus that he, they were speaking to his disciples. And this is in Mark chapter 8, and he's kind of now in the middle of his ministry. And again, I want you to hear this passage in light of this this idea of of indifference and see if you see it in Jesus, and you're not going to. But listen to the challenge he makes in this. He says, beginning in verse 34 of Mark 8, Then, calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, Jesus said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. Now, let me just stop there for one second. I don't know why, I don't know where, I don't know when it was even, I don't know why it was, it's a thought in our heads, but for some reason, as Christians... As followers of Jesus, for some reason, a lot of us, most of us, all of us, think that because we call ourselves Christians, life will be easy. That life will be easy. We shouldn't have any problems. We shouldn't have any. We shouldn't be socially fatigued. We shouldn't be uncomfortable. We, we, we should have all the things like electricity and water and shelter and food and, and our religious freedom. We should have all of that. Why? Because I'm a Christian and I love Jesus. And for too many of us, we expect life to be, to be easy and to not come with any, uh, with any hardships whatsoever, almost to the point that we're shocked when something goes bad. When someone doesn't agree, when we feel even slightly infringed upon, we can lose it. I don't know why as Christians we think this, because nowhere in Scripture do I find where Jesus says, call on my name, I will save your sins, I will give you new life, and you will never have a problem again. I don't read that anywhere. See, in the, in the United States especially, folks, we take things for granted. We even take our Christianity for granted. So when we read words like Jesus saying, take, take up your cross and follow me, we don't even understand that. We don't get it. But Jesus says, if you want to follow me, 
You're gonna have to take up your cross and, and come after me. You're gonna have to do what I did. You're gonna have to give up your own way. He says this in verse 35, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. That means, sure, live your life, hang on to it all you want, try and seek all the comforts you want and all the, the wonderful things and no problems, all you want, but you're not even gonna be close to really living. You're not even gonna come close to really living the life that Jesus calls us to live. Wow, I wish she would quit talking about this. I get it, I feel bad already. But I wish she'd be done so I can quit feeling bad. I need to go eat. I've got a nap to take. I've got like eight episodes of something I need to binge watch. I might do that paper later, but probably not. Why don't she just stop? Why don't, why, please stop. That's what I'd be thinking if I were sitting out there. Folks, we're indifferent. We're apathetic. I don't, I don't care if you engage with, with me, but look at what the words of Jesus say. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Because see, there is bad news. There is, there is stuff that's not good. But Jesus says, I'm going to step into that and I'm going to bring the good news. And when I'm gone and you call yourself a follower of me, then you're going to take the good news into those places. That's what we should be doing. But apathetic, indifferent people don't feel the call, don't feel the urge, don't feel the necessity to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Why would we? Got my heated mattress pad. Why, why do I need to share good news with somebody? I mean, Drew knows it, and we're teaching it to Mallory, so I'm, we're good, right? And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? See, that's what Jesus is saying. You can be indifferent. You can be apathetic. And you can have all the wonderful things and all the good things and the shiny things and, and all that stuff. But oh my goodness, what benefit will it be if you, if you lose your soul? And then he says this, is anything worth more than your soul? I find it interesting that Jesus asks that question because he paid the ultimate price for our souls. We're indifferent. He says this in verse 38, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, see he's admitting, it's not great out there. The Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. See, Jesus is saying there is good news to be shared because, yeah, the world, it's, it's, it's rough. It's, it's hard. It's difficult. It's, there, there are people in need, and you share that good news, and, and there's hope. There's hope found in Christ. There's hope found in his return. 
mean, if you don't care about the world, then why would you ever bother to tell the world good news? If you're indifferent to the world, who, why? If you're indifferent to, if you're apathetic to the world, why would we ever do this? And so folks, here's why I'm telling you all this today. Is, is it possible, is it possible that there's one way, one thing, one, one uh, topic, one cause that you have become indifferent to and you know it? I mean, as I'm saying this, you're thinking, yeah, there's some things. Is it, for the next 31 days of Lent, could you give up that indifference? Could you, would you lay that aside for 31 days and see what God does with your heart? Would you see how he changes your attitude towards the world? For 31 days. That's the, the, the remaining time we have in Lent. Now, I'm hoping that on Easter you're like, great, I can be apathetic again, yay, and I'll start eating chocolate again. But you would, but like you would find in these 31 days that, that God is showing you something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, um, to share with you something that I'm doing. So I told you last week with giving up excess, one of the things I was doing is, uh, you know, you give something up, sometimes you take something on. And so I'm just listening to worship music. I know it's really hard, it's really difficult. No, it's not. But I'm doing that. This is what I'm doing during Lent. I'm not listening to anything else, just worship music. Totally changed my outlook and, and how I'm seeing things. As I was working on this message for the last week and a half, and I said, is this something coming to your mind about being indifferent to? Here's what came to my mind for me. And it's about social media. And um, I know I'm going to sound like a really bad person when I tell you guys this. So, but I'm just going to say it because maybe it'll help you see that. I have this thing on social media where I can't, I say I can't, I really don't like to read in depth about kids who are sick. So like if someone shares a link about so-and-so and they're doing a this and a thing, I'm just telling you. And there's this part of me that wants to say, oh, I just can't because I care so much. I think there's a little bit of that, but a lot of it is, it's, it's I just, if I read about it and I see a picture, it's going to be there, it's going to be in my mind, and I'm going to be thinking about it, and it's going to bum me out. Is that horrible? So a lot of times what I do is I just scroll. And I think to myself, oh, I'm glad someone else is helping them. Glad someone else is praying for them. So as I was working on this message, that is the one thing God was like, hello, Shannon. So here's what I've been doing for just the last week and a half so far. I'm going to keep, is now when, when I want to just go like this, I just, oh, quick. I stop, I read, I look, I pray for that child. I pray for their family. And ask God to be depressed in their life. It didn't take me a whole lot of time. Because I was indifferent to it. Almost to the point of apathy. So, is there something that you can change? That you've become indifferent to, that you've become apathetic to, and you're just and you're gonna say, okay, God, for the next 31 days, I'm gonna give this. I'm gonna give up that, and I'm gonna I'm gonna allow you to be God in this. I'm gonna allow you to be Lord in this and see how He changes you in the process. It 
Jesus gives us this example to follow after him, to do what he did. And, and folks, that is to be light in the darkness. And that's, that's our purpose. That's, if, we're, if we're his followers, that's our, our only purpose. It's not to be comfortable. It's not to say, I'm done. Aren't you glad that Jesus never said, I'm done, until he had actually done what he came to do? Then he said, it is finished. But he didn't quit halfway. He didn't quit the first time that he ran up to hardships. He didn't quit the first time that people tried to run him out of town. He didn't quit whenever uh, the, the legalists and the, and the religious leaders came after him. He didn't quit. He wasn't done. Thanks for listening to the Solomon's Porch Podcast. We hope you heard some good practical news in this episode that you can apply to your life. If you'd like, we'd love for you to review our podcast on iTunes and share it with your friends. You can also support our ministry by going to theporchvaldasa.com slash give. Until next time, stay classy, listening friends.
Well, we have come now to the end of our four-part series on I Heart, and you know, we're in the church for heaven's sake. You can't start this thing without saying I Heart Jesus. And then it was about Valentine's Day, so we said, well, I heart my sweetheart. And then we talked about I heart the church and I heart my church. And now we come to the end of it because we have to be as big as God is. And God hearts the world. So we're gathered here today to talk about what it means to heart the world. Now the truth is that... uh, Casey was on to something there. And it wasn't about Harry Styles, whoever that is. But anyway, um, you know, how do we respond to the world? Well, the world has changed a lot. And it's changed a lot in our time. Sometimes we forget this isn't the first time the world has changed. It's probably the first time the world has changed this fast. But there were some remarkable times when, like, when Columbus came over and discovered the Americas. Actually, there are millions of people who had already discovered the Americas. They were living here. (laughs) It's just the Europeans discovered that they were over here. And then they had, you know, later on in the 1700s, you had, uh, well, I guess back in the 1500s, you had uh, Magellan, who was the first to sail all the way around the world. And then you had Captain John Cook who came back and brought stories of exotic islands and, you know, all this stuff. And, boy, they were just thinking, what an incredible change is going on as we're discovering this whole world. And that brought people to asking this question. What are we supposed to do about this world? Well, over in France, they just had the French Revolution Everything was being overthrown. The church was being hammered. And nobody really knew what was going to happen. But in England, some people got together and churches would get together on the first Monday of every month for an hour to pray for God to send revival. And you know what? God did something incredible. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, God did it through a preacher. Yeah, not so much. Actually, God did it through a shoemaker. And this is his picture up here. His name is William Carey. William Carey said, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. William Carey had the audacity to read the Bible and to take it as God's word for them right then. Jesus gave his last command, said, go into all the world, take the gospel to every nation. Well, there were a lot of people at that time who said, okay, that was just for those first apostles. But for the rest of us now, we just are going to sit here on our blessed assurance, and we're not going to go anywhere or do anything. Well, William Carey said, no, I believe that as we're discovering this incredible world, God wants us to go and share the good news of Jesus with people everywhere. In one rather memorable or forgettable uh, meeting at which William Carey spoke up about this theme, a preacher stood up and said, Young man, sit down. When God gets ready to save the world, he'll do it without your help. 
Well, actually, God did want to save the world, and God did want Carrie's help. And Carrie said, here am I, send me. And that was just the first of a whole flood that for uh, centuries kept reaching out to a whole world who needed to know the love of Jesus. Now, William Carey and his family, his wife and four children, arrived on November 9th, 1793 in India, a nation dear to my heart. I was born there. My parents were missionaries there. But when he and his family landed, it was just a couple of months later that his wife began a mental illness that would last for the rest of her life. A few months after that, uh, their third child died. Listen, let us never think that the work of God done around the world is done without a cost. It cost God, His Son, to come to save us, and it costs still greatly for people to go and share the love of Christ. As a matter of fact, I'm just amazed by this. Did you know that many of the early missionaries to Africa would pack their belongings to send over there in a casket so they would have something to be buried in when that time came. Now that, my friends, is commitment. But what does it mean for us to heart the world? Okay, most of us aren't going and packing our stuff in caskets. What does it mean for us to care about the world the way God does? Well, let's look at probably one of the most well-known verses in the Bible and one that ought to be as well-known because it follows right after it. Here it is from John 3.16. This is from the New Living Translation, so it's just a little different. It says, for this is how God loved the world. Say the next part with me. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. And then we ought to know this one just as well. Read it with me. God sent His Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. Now, a lot of us memorized it back in the days when we had the King James Version. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever... Does anybody say whosoever anymore? You know, what, is, what does whosoever mean? Everyone. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, just look up at verse 16 here. And I'm going to ask you something that is not a trick question. Right? What is the first word in that sentence? For. Now, for is an abbreviated version of therefore. And we were always taught when we read the Bible and studied the Bible that every time you see the word therefore, you ought to ask what it's there for. Corny, but it works. It's referring back to something right before this. So what was he talking about before this? Well, he was referring back to an Old Testament story in Numbers 21, 5 through 9. The people of Israel had gotten out of Egypt, but now they were wandering around in the wilderness. And I mean, it was long and it was hot. And you know what they had to eat the whole time? Manna. Does anybody know what manna means? 
Here's what the literal, tra literal translation of manna is. What is it? So the first time manna showed up on the ground, everybody went out and said, manna. Like, what is it? So they, after eating what is it for a long, long time, they were getting pretty tired of that stuff. And they were griping and whining. And here we are at the day. Well, in this whining attitude, all of a sudden, these snakes started appearing and biting the people. And people were dying. And so they came to Moses and said, hey, we're sorry, we're griping. You know, uh, what can we do? So Moses goes to God and asks him about it. God says, build or uh, make a um, bronze snake on a pole and stick it there in the middle of the camp. And whoever comes and looks at this pole with a snake on it will be cured from the snake bite. Well, there it is on the right. Now, if you look here, you've seen something similar to that on, you know, doctor's offices or on an uh, uh, emergency vehicle going by. Did, has anybody ever wondered, what's, the, what's with the snake? On, on the, well, it's referring back to this story. It's, this has always been an understanding of a, a way where God brought healing. So our physicians still use that as a, as a symbol. But if you'll see on the left, this is what Jesus was referring to. Remember the story about the snake? You know, and people look up and had faith and, you know, God healed them. He says, here's what's going to happen now. Is God in Jesus Christ will be lifted up on the cross and all those who look to him in faith will be saved. Isn't that incredible? Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what Jesus has done for us. This is where God calls us in faith to quit trying and start trusting. And we look at Jesus and we discover there our sins are forgiven. Jesus has paid for our sins and he is raising us up to new life if we just have the faith to believe it. What an incredible story. So, Let's take a quick look back at John 3.16. It says, uh, for this is how what? God. Let's be clear. This all starts with God. I'm not, you know, we're not gathering here today for me to say, okay, everybody, now you go out and I want you to love the world. You know, that's great. This is about more than some kind of self-help deal. We're coming asking for God to put his heart in us so we can have the heart of God. Does that make sense? This is our great need. We can't heart the world the way we're supposed to. But when God gives us his heart, we can. What does God do? He loves. Love is more than just a feeling. Now, love is a good feeling, but it's something that does something. It's not just, no. you know, it's, it's something that acts. And God loves what? The world. Well, I got good news and bad news for you. The bad news is we have to love the whole world too. A little bit of good news in that is 
that means the other people that, you know, like you don't want to love them, but you have to. They probably don't want to love you, <laughs> but they have to. Okay, so God loves the whole world. And what's that love look like? He gives. And he gives his son the very best that he has so that everyone, who's included in everyone? Everyone. We don't get to exclude anybody. Do you have some people you just don't like all that well? Yeah, includes them too. You know, so everyone who believes, who looks to him in faith, will not perish. Wow, this is about eternal consequences. But in, that's what happens if you're apart from Jesus. But if you have Jesus, you have eternal life. Okay, this is, this is the heart of the gospel. And then verse 17 puts it so wonderfully. You know, God didn't send his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, my, uh, my dad was a pastor. He was a pastor in a foreign country, Ohio. And uh, while my uh, dad and mom were there, they were avid supporters of missionaries. They'd often have missionary speakers come to their church and so on. Well, this one guy came who was in terrible health. So they were talking with him and, uh, you know, had him over for a meal and they were talking. And they were, he was telling about all the stuff he did. And when he told them all the stuff, they commented, well, no wonder your health is broken down. You're doing the work of two people. And he responded with these words, well, what are you going to do if the second person never comes? Well, that was the word of God to my parents. And they heard in that man's words their call to go as missionaries. Now, not everybody's called to go, but some are called. And so when they heard that word, they said, okay, God, and they went. Now, I uh, loved growing up as a missionary kid in India, and my brothers just loved it too. Uh, they have lived in uh, Korea and Taiwan. They've been out of the country uh, most of their lives. Uh, so I, I asked my precious Betty, my wife, I, I said, you know, what do you think about going as a missionary? She said, I'll write you. <laughs> now, I'm not the smartest person in the world, but that communicated pretty clearly. So uh, we, uh, our calling was here in America, but Betty and I have long been advocates of being people who love the whole world. And so one of the things that God called us to, not, you know, this is just what he called us to do, was we help by giving monthly to help support missionaries on every continent in the world. So that's a cool thing. For us, is that we, there's somebody we know by name who is ministering God's grace on every continent in the world. So I wanna encourage you. Uh, here's one action step that I want to challenge every family with here in our church. Every family, because everybody can do this. Here's a challenge, that every person in our congregation should help support, you know, giving $25 a month, $50 a month, $100, whatever you can afford, that you would give that every month to support somebody specific in another country around the world who's doing the work of Christ. 
Some of you are giving through Compassion International to help change a child's life. We're going to have a Compassion Sunday coming up in a little while, and you'll be able to do that again if that's what God calls you to. But do something. You know what the worst thing would be is if we left from here and said, boy, I'm sure glad God hearts the world. Let's go get genuine Mexican food at Taco Bell. <laughs> really? This is all it means? Come on. If God so loves that he gave, we ought to give. And we can give in a lot of ways. One way is money, but that's not the only way. God may call some of us to uh, go on short-term mission trips. Our youth do that every summer. Our mid-highs, our senior highs, sometimes they go out of the country, sometimes they uh, stay in the country. Our mid-highs uh, this year are going uh, to Lowndes County. You know what? The world starts at our door. And then our senior highs are headed over uh, to New Orleans. I'm glad. It's not about this or that. It's about this and that. So wherever it is that God puts on your heart, respond in the way that he wants you to. I'm going to tell you something really ugly here. I, I, I'm a part of a disciple Bible study class that's going on. And in our class, in, in the notebook, it has what it calls our human condition. And it talks about what our real problem is. <laughs> Listen to this uh, when we were talking about reaching out. It says this, We are uncomfortable and wit about uh, witnessing about our faith to strangers and people of different religions. Even with our families and next-door neighbors, we hesitate to talk about God. We suspect the people will resent ideas that challenge their beliefs and customs. You ready for this one? This is really ugly. Besides, we're not sure if we want them to join us. I mean, how ugly is that? But isn't that the way we are? I mean, we have... Stuff like, yeah, over there in the Mideast, let's just nuke them all and let God sort them out. Well, there's a real heart of Jesus, isn't it? You know, I mean, man, did you see a Muslim? Go kill him. Great. I'm telling you, friends, this is the world Christ calls on us to be different from the world. In a Baptist church, they'd have said amen. <laughs> Listen, we need to be different. We're not called on to just be like everybody else. So I want to give you two simple things for us to do. Now, this is probably going to take you a little bit of thinking after you leave here. So I'm going to trust you on this one. But first of all, start with yourself. <laughs> Someone said, yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I'm wise, so I'm changing myself. There's a good word. You know, we can only do this by humbling ourselves before God and asking Him to give us His heart. The second thing is this. Start with where you are. For most of us, we are sent, you know, y'all, I love people who sit on the front row. Y'all would be in the front row in heaven too. So, but, you know, most of you are, are in school. You know where God's called you to serve? In school. That's where he's put you. And most of us, you know, in our various places of employ employment, this is where God's called on us to serve. I have seen some of the coolest things that have gone on. Uh, matter of fact, uh, one of our good dentists, Brad Bynum, he's the first dentist in Georgia who's done this. 
gave a whole day of free dental work to uh, somebody is glad to see the dentist. Well, those, pe those people were. I mean, by the way, Brad was on the front page of the newspaper, didn't, but he didn't do it to get on the front page of the newspaper. He decided uh, by connecting, so I think they called it Smiles for Vets. I may not have the name quite right. But I mean, he gave away thousands of dollars of free dental care. Why? Well, we began that day. He invited me over since apparently I have the hotline to heaven. Y'all do know your prayers are just as good as any pastor's. But I was honored to come there. At the beginning of the day, what did we do? We prayed. And we asked God to show his favor to all these who came. I just thank God for people like that. I think about Laura Leonard, uh, who cares in our congregation for older people. She steps into places where some of our elderly just kind of are confused about how to do things. She steps in as an advocate. She will get on the phone and she'll fight the uh, credit card companies and do whatever. Why? Because she is there loving in the name of Jesus. I think about a friend, uh, a lawyer friend of mine. Some of you say, they're lawyers who are Christians? Yes. Uh, and uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, you know, this guy, when there are people who come to him who don't have any way to pay, and from time to time he'll just say, I'll be glad to take care of that. And he does it in the name of Jesus. I think about our Rock Sunday School class that last Sunday came and prayed through the sanctuary, walked around, sat in the pews, praying over that. And when they got done, you know where they came? Right here. And they prayed over these seats where you and I are sitting. Who knows but whether the next great move of God will come among us because our kids prayed. I'm telling you, do what you can where you are. I love this precious story about a little girl who lived next door to a man whose wife just died. And the mother looked around a little later and, and the little girl was gone. And so she went running out of the house, couldn't find her anywhere. And about the time she ran out of the house, she saw her little girl coming out of the widower's home. And so she went over and, and you know, grabbed up her daughter in her arms and said, where'd you go? And she said, well, I went over to, to see our friend next door. And she said, well, what did you say to him? She said, I didn't, do, I didn't say anything. I just climbed up in his lap and helped him cry. I mean, this is what it means to be the people of God and to love the world. It means we start at the world recognizing it's right at our front door. But it means we won't stop until our concern and compassion reaches all the way around the world. So, go where God sends you and be present where he is. So here are the two things that I want to uh, let you wrestle with, and uh, I'm, I'm just praying that God will not let any of us go. First, think globally. What is God calling on you to do? You can pray. Matter of fact, at the back, I have, uh, some of you have already gotten these, but there are a couple of things. These are prayer maps. Well, I won't unfold that one. That's got too many folds to it. This is a kid's prayer map. Awesome. Parents, pray with your kids. For one thing, you parents will discover where the continents are. <laughs> All right. 
and not to put too fine a point on it, and you can teach your kids. And you can teach them how to love the world by beginning to know about the world and praying for the world. So we can pray. We can give. Give. Make a difference in the lives of somebody who is going. Maybe you, God will call you to go on a short-term mission trip. Or I, I have a friend here that I've known for many years in Valdosta. Came up to me the other day and said, well, we're selling everything and going to Guatemala to work with orphans. I was surprised. But why should I be surprised? God called them. They said, yes, they're going. I mean, whatever it is God calls you to do, think globally. But do something. And the second thing is think locally. All right, we're going to love the whole world, but what are you going to do now? You're going to care for the world that God has put right at your doorstep. So, Sydney, for you, that means you're going to have a baby and take good care of that thing. And thank you for not having that child during the service. Uh, I think that baby is due here any second. Uh, but where is it that God is calling you? It starts with letting God change us. I, I love the story about the, the rabbi who said, uh, uh, you know, he, he graduated from rabbinic school and he was ready to go. He had passion and vision. He said, I'm going to go out and change the world. And then he thought, well, that's pretty big. He said, I'm going to go out and change our country. And he said, well, that's pretty big too. I'm going to go out and change my city. He said, well, that's pretty big. He said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go out and change my street. And he thought, well, that's pretty big. He said, I'm going to go out and change my family. He said, that's pretty big. So he said, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out and change myself. This is where it starts, by letting God do his work in our heart, by letting him give his heart to us. That's why we come to Jesus. He is the one who gives us a new heart and a new life. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that for every one of us, for the person who's been here for years and years, and for the person who just walked in here today, you are here to meet every one of us. Every one of us is a part of the world that you gave your son for, so we want to respond by giving ourselves back to you. And it may be, Father, that the way somebody here is going to start loving the world is by giving their life to you today. And boy, what a win that is. I mean, that they get to start a whole new life and that you make them brand new and you begin to put your heart into them. And would you do that for us all? That we might be faithful and we might have a whole new way of viewing the world. Help us to see the world the way you do so we can love the world the way you do. So God, speak to us. Thank you for including us in your love. Give us hearts big enough to include the world that you love so passionately. In Jesus' name, amen.